Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield. Joined back again by Alex Duvall. How's the dad life treat you, man? It's good, man. I don't sleep a whole lot anymore, but it's good. It's been rewarding. It's, um, you know, we were really excited and, you know, just to see a little clone of yourself has been pretty cool. But yeah, if I could, you know, get any amount of sleep, it would be a lot better. But my wife's been amazing. Um, little kid's been amazing so far. He didn't cry too much, knock on wood. So, so far, so good. Uh, go back to work tomorrow. So that'll be a new adventure, but I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, it, I'm so happy for you. And I, I understand the lack of sleep. I did that about, you know, a little over a year ago from now, you know, my son's about 10 months old now. So I, I'm, I get it. Uh, it gets better, but, uh, you're not going to get a full night's sleep for a very long time. I'll just, I'll let you know that now. Oh, I don't anticipate anything like that changing anytime soon, but it's been rewarding so far. So there's, you know, obviously every, everything we do is for him now. So it's been, it's been a fun little ride so far. No doubt about it. Uh, Alex and I tonight as well are joined by uh, Royals left-handed pitcher, Anthony Veneziano, uh, currently with Quad Cities and having a really good year. Uh, We're excited to have him on. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Anthony, we had just kind of talked about off the air uh, right before Joel started recording that you touched 100 mile an hour for the first time in your life the other day in a game. Yeah. Um, it was, a, you know, it's something that – you go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just want to say, you know, it's a – you know, it was an incredible accomplishment. And, you know, it's, it's something that as a kid, you know, everyone kind of dreams of and hopes for. But, you know, it's just – it goes to show how, you know, how much hard work that I've been able to put in and all the, you know, the coaching and – and teammates and, and everybody around me that's really helped me push to get to this to the spot you're not the first college pitcher that the royals have drafted recently to, to make a jump like that um you know if you were gonna if you're gonna kind of you know a, pat somebody on the back here on the podcast or you know kind of give a thanks to somebody like what what kind of work goes in inside the organization because you know daniel lynch comes out of virginia and all of a sudden he's pumping 96 99 um Will Klein was in the upper 90s, but he hit 102 the other day in a game. Like, you know, what what kind of work are you doing? What's in the water at Quad Cities? Like, what what kind of work goes into, you know, taking your velocity from the mid-90s, maybe some upper 90s, into touching 100 miles an hour all of a sudden? Yeah, no, um, it definitely goes into the coaching, man. I mean, we have, you know, the coach here in Quad Cities, uh, Coach Lubers, you know, he's incredible. He's, he's really helped me. And all the other coaches that are down in Arizona, that, that the roaming pitching coaches that come, you know, every coach brings something to the table. And, you know, I've always been, I've always prided myself on being a quick learner and adapting to things and understanding certain movements. And, you know, I just, I'm a big, tall, lanky dude. So it took me a long time to figure out how my body works. And, you know, I'm 23 going on 24. So, you know, this year I can feel like certain things that they've been saying for the last year and a half, two years start to really show, you know, in my game. So, so, oh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I was just going to say, you mentioned how, you know, being a tall, lanky dude, you know, you create, it's an advantage because it creates a lot of levers, you know, being tall, being lanky creates a lot of levers to A, not only access velocity, but B, to be able to create some some angles that create some difficulties for hitters when you have that velocity as well. And, it, you know, it pairs well with your breaking ball, um, you know, that, that's a really, really nice sweeping slider. How do you also combat, you know, using your lever to get to some crazy velocity and creating crazy angles on your slider and also reining it in and, and making sure that it's in the strike zone, because that can be really, really tough for longer, taller pitchers as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a, 
it's been a long journey to get to where I'm at right now, to be consistent in my mechanics and to be repeatable. You know, that's the biggest thing is when you become repeatable and consistent, then you can start making pitches a little more nastier in certain counts and you can, you know, set up hitters differently. So, you know, it's been a long, you should have seen when I first got drafted, man, I felt like I couldn't find the plate. And now, uh, you know, it's been really, really, you know, enjoyable to be able to, you know, set up hitters and, and attack the zone. So I, when I saw, uh, when I was looking through your bio and saw you were a coastal Carolina guy, I was like, all right, let's go. I got, I got something here. So I was, we were talking a little bit about it off air, but I was at the 2016 college world series with one of my buddies. We spent a lot of time there and that was the year coastal Carolina won the national championship. And so I have a hat, I have a pennant signed by the, the national championship team. And so I consider myself like a closet Shantz fan, just because, you know, when you see that group of guys go to, on that stage and win, that's, that's really cool. And that's something that kind of sticks with you as just a fan of baseball broad, you know, broader than just the teams that you true, you know, you normally root for, but talk about your experience there with, you know, with coach Gilmore and, and your time there and going to college in Myrtle beach doesn't sound like it sucks too much either. <laughs> yeah, no, man, it was a, it was a great experience. I mean, I learned more probably, you know, out, stuff outside of baseball, like life, just life in general, you know, college is, you know, I come in as a little 18 year old kid, you don't know what to expect. And Coach Gilmore does an incredible job with making every player leave campus as a man. So, you know, it, it took me three years to figure it out and he stuck by my side. And, you know, I actually, I texted coach uh, the other day when I, you know, I found out I hit a hundred and, you know, he's just so proud, proud of me and he's happy. And, and I, th I thank him for all the stuff that he was, you know, able to teach me. And, and um, you know, besides that, the, the players, obviously, it's cool to see some guys in pro ball that I'm the South Bend Cubs have a couple dudes uh, from Coastal. So, you know, it's, we have a very tight family. So it's, it's cool to be able to stay close to these guys. You mentioned that, uh, you know, off the air that you got to Coastal the year after they won the World Series. Uh, Andrew Beckwith put on, in that 2016 World Series, oh, he put on one of the best performances I have ever seen from any player at the College World Series ever. Did you get to know him at all, or was he gone as soon as you kind of got there? No, he was there. He was a senior when I was a freshman, so um, it was cool to be able to see him take the ball on the weekend and and do what he did, you know, 2016. So, you know, 2017 had a really good season, and the Royals, you know, drafted him, which was cool. So he was still with the Royals when I got drafted, and we were texting back and forth, but we never got to play together. He – um, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody successfully pull off, like, throwing overhand and sidearm and even, like, some submarine that he would bring in sometimes – you, you have a really, like, it's not necessarily a unique arm slot in the fact that nobody's ever done it before, but it's unique in that there's not a lot of guys who start at your arm slot, create that kind of leverage, because like we talked about, it is hard to create um, levers and control the ball enough to be a starter. Is, is there anything about being at Coastal Carolina, like that they were helping you to create a unique uh, delivery helping you to create something that was going to be really deceptive to hitters, or is that something that's always been natural? Um, I'd say it's always been natural, man. I mean, it goes back to playing catch in the yards. My dad, you know, we used to, I used to throw bullpens in like fifth grade. So, you know, just that, like being able to, you know, point the ball to the center fielder, like that, you know, kind of mechanic, I, I don't know what it was, but it always stuck. And I never changed my arm slot when I got to coastal, but you know, same thing with the Royals. They helped me refine it and they helped me repeat it and they helped me get consistent with it. 
So last season, so you, you go to Idaho Falls in 19 after you get drafted. Obviously, the 2020 season was canceled. So, you know, you're just kind of working on your own. Did you go to the alt side at all, or was it, or were you pretty much just on your own for the entire summer? Um, I was down in AZ. So we had, like, there was the alt site, and then there was, like, a second camp. So we were in Arizona from, you know, middle of September till probably, like, November 6th or 7th. So I got to throw probably 20 innings down there. Okay, what was the biggest thing you were working on during that time? Because obviously during the season, there's only so much time on off days or anything else to work on and tweak mechanics, uh, you know, pitch design, anything like that. What, what were some of those things you were really able to focus on and work on that helped you had success this season? Yeah, I mean, the two biggest things, especially then, uh, what I worked on was just staying into my back leg and using my legs down the mound, making sure my direction was, you know, to home plate. Cause I used to crossfire really bad. So I in my momentum and, you know, a lot of my drive and power would kind of leak towards the first base side. So I worked on getting down the mound consistently and making sure the ball was getting out of my glove. Cause with that arm slot, sometimes my arm trails behind and it's just, you know, the ball shoot up, up and away, or I'll yank it down and in. So being able to get the ball out of my glove and staying in my legs was probably the two biggest things I worked on. You've got some pretty good splits against lefties this year. And I can't imagine that, being a left-handed hitter in the box against, um, you know, I don't know how tall you actually are, but, you know, everywhere I've seen w- uh, online has you listed 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so creating those kind of levers to a left-handed hitter especially, um, how then do you flip that around where against a right-handed hitter, the, the, the angle you've created against lefties is extremely difficult. So against a righty, you know, Typically with a lefty, if we if we talk about left-handed pitchers as being really good against right-handed hitters, there's usually a changeup involved in that. So, you know, I I don't know if you throw a changeup a ton, but if you if it's not your favorite pitch in the world, how do you personally go about neutralizing righties? And you know, how how is that something that you've kind of gone back and forth with as you've progressed through you know professional baseball? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, the changeup it's an awesome pitch and. Uh, that's a pitch probably I've worked on the most this season, you know, in bullpens and catch play, I throw probably almost as many changes as I throw fastballs and catch play. Um, so to that righty, my ball has pretty good run to it. So when I throw it down in the zone, it has good late life and the changeup just plays right off of that. And I've been working on that back foot slider righties as well. So if I get that going, then it's, you know, it's going to be a good day. You said you grew up in Jersey. You didn't grow up a Yankee fan, did you? Yeah, I did. I had a bad feeling about that. So, yeah. Being a Yankees fan, is there any – I mean, well, I guess being a baseball fan in general, any – were there any pitchers you watched growing up? Because, again, like I said, it's it's not a especially unique delivery, but it's a little different. So is there anybody that you tried to model yourself after that you watched and tried to, like, you know, work on? Or is it just something that honestly just came totally natural to you? Uh, as a kid, I mean, I can show you a picture, like, side by side. Andy Pettit and I, I tried to replicate every single thing he did. So his pickoff move, his little over-the-top delivery, like, you know, hands overhead. Uh, I watched – I mean, I'm not a kid, man. That's how I learned baseball. I would sit down with my dad, and we watched every single Yankee game from when I can remember. So I just learned the game through that stuff, and I picked up cues and, you know, watching Andy Pettit. I loved watching CC Sabathia. And when Andrew Miller came to the Yankees, this is when I was in high school. So I can see we kind of had a lot of similarities with our arm angle and arm slot. And I've kind of seen a lot of film with him to study. Andrew Miller is a good one to study. Andrew Miller, I remember when he was with uh, Cleveland in that in those playoff runs, you know, it was mm-hmm. – I, I don't know that I've ever seen a reliever dominate two innings at a time like that. You know, the Royals 
in their playoff runs kind of invented what teams do with their bullpens now. And, and if not reinvented, reinvented and kind of remastered, then, you know, Wade Davis, Greg Holland, Herrera, um, Hochaver, they all were really good, obviously dominant for in, an inning at a time in the back end of those games. But Andrew Miller was doing it two innings at a time. And, you know, I, I don't like, you know, necessarily throwing an Andrew Miller comp on your delivery, but that's who it reminds me of most. And I guess now that you mentioned Andy Pettit, that makes a lot of sense too. Um, but in terms of guys that you compete with on a daily basis, is there anybody maybe in the Royal system that you can talk to about that? Because again, having a delivery as a lefty, that's, you know, a little bit unique. Is there anybody in the system, any, any teammates you have, any former teammates you have in the system that you kind of bounce ideas off of? Because, you know, there's, it's obviously helpful to talk to other pitchers, but sometimes you need a guy who throws a little bit like you to maybe get more specific. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, on the team right now, me and Don Tibiazzi are, are really tight and we are, you know, we shoot each other back and forth with stuff we see and stuff we're both working on. And, you know, we do a lot of the same drills. So me and him are always, you know, working and talking about stuff. And honestly, you guys said Daniel Lynch earlier. I remember in spring training before it canceled in 2020, and I've only talked to him maybe one time, but, I just remember watching him go about his bullpen, watching him long toss, watching him just do things. And I was trying to, you know, kind of pick up what he was doing. And the one drill he he does, I, I don't know if he does it, you know, regularly anymore, but I do it now. You know, just like you pick your leg up to get to your highest point, and then you almost hop one time, and then you kind of drive down and throw. And I saw him doing that long tossing, and I talked to a couple of the pitching coaches, and they're like, yeah, that would be perfect for you, man. And I do it every day now, and it's really helped. We've asked most of the guys we've had on the show have been hitters now that I think about it. So what we've been asking them is, hey, <clears throat> among the pitchers you faced, you know, at Instructs and at the alt site last year, you know, who are some of the teammates, who are some of the pitchers who have given you the most fit? So I'll flip that question to you. In your time, you know, in Instructs and in the alt site and wherever else you faced your own teammates, who are some of the hitters in the system who have given you the most trouble? Who are some of the hitters that you've been the most impressed with? And who are some that you know, you feel like you guys have had really equal, just like awesome battles, you know, in the box? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was fortunate enough. I got to face Bobby Witt, which was awesome. And this was like early spring training. So this is 2020 as well. And we only got, five, uh, I think, six pitches in at bat. It was like one of the early ones. And it was like the best at bat. And ended up finishing at 3-2. And we, we didn't know who, you know, if someone struck someone out or if I was going to walk him or not. So that, I remember that one. And uh, facing Vinny too, man. Vinny's his approach, dude, is awesome, man. I love watching him hit, and I remember I threw him a left-on-left changeup, which is kind of, you know, not the ordinary pitch to throw, and he grounded out the second on it, and I was pretty hyped about that. But his approach, man's awesome. Uh, I got to face Massey. Massey's a great hitter as well. And um, I'm trying to think. I, I don't really know. We haven't done as many live hitters as you think, because in 2020, when I was in that fall camp, we went right into games. So we were playing, like, the Texas Rangers, I felt like, every day. So I, I talked to Vinny last week on the podcast, you know, he's up in double a killing it now. You know, I think he went hit another bomb last night. Dude's just crushing the ball. But I was asking him about his time in quad cities and you guys have just been running all over the high central this year. I mean, it, it looked in really good shape to win the league. What has the, you know, the locker room and what's, what goes on day to day that helps drive that winning environment? Because that's something the Royals really do put a premium on is having guys and teams win in the minor league so when they get up to the majors they know and they've won together so what mm -hmm. what has that experience been like this year 
Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, our manager, Chris Widger is awesome, dude. He, he does a great job of having feel towards, you know, some days we need to get extra work in and get here early. And some days he knows when to kind of pull the rain backs a little bit and give us some time to make sure we're ready to go for the game. And I think the biggest thing is just having like hard nosed guys. You know, I, I pride myself on that. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm going to compete my ass off every time I throw. And I see that with all the at-bats, you know, Massey gives a good at-bats, Nate Eaton, Eric Cole, John Reeve. I mean, the list goes on and on, dude. One through nine, our lineup is dangerous. We have, you know, Klein out of the bullpen. And I mean, almost everyone that comes out of the pen is is consistent. They throw strikes. And we put ourselves in good situations to win every, every night. I was thinking about this earlier. When you, you're talking about all the work you do at Instructs, is I've, I don't know if I've ever asked anybody this question before. Is Steve Luber, like you're the pitching coach there at high A or the pitching coach from double A, are they there working with you guys in Arizona? Or are they kind of like when you guys go out to quad cities, they're there and they're only there? Or do they follow you guys back to Arizona and such? So in instructs, it's, it's usually the coaches that are down there right now. So like our pitching coordinators, they'll be there for instructs working on stuff. And there's about three or four pitching coaches down there. But for spring training, you know, the first week of spring training, we get put into groups. So I was in the high A group. So that's when I got to really, you know, meet Luber and talk to him. And, and then he watches your bullpens and he tell, you know, tells you what he sees and what, he, what he's excited to work on with you and stuff. But, you know, for instructs this year, I, I'm not sure if Luber will go. He might. But usually it seems to be the other coaches. So then you get a good array of, of messages. And so you got, you know, Coach Luber watching you sometimes. You got – a pitching coordinator one time and then another pitching coach, like you said, the wandering pitching coaches sometimes. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of information. And, I, and I'm assuming that while the, the concepts of those messages are similar, that sometimes they're going to get to what they want to tell you in a different route. How oh, does, yeah. Uh, how does the communication work? And, and, and you know, because it seems like the Royals do a pretty good job in, in terms of the way they've handled um, really all of their development in the last few years. Uh, I kind of – point to when they hired Drew Saylor on the hitting side back in 2019 is that, you know, from the outside looking in to see like a, maybe a fundamental change on its way, but how does that communication work and how can you best maximize all the messages you're getting to combine one thing that really works for you individually? Yeah. I, you know, I'll say, so I remember, man. So yeah, I, I, I'm a kind of guy that, you know, I think a lot and I'm always trying to work on something. So when I first got to, you know, instructs and I'm throwing things and I'm throwing my bullpen and stuff, I had, I'm probably five or six coaches tell me almost the same thing, but they kind of, you know, worded it a little differently. And my mind started to race, you know? And I think that a lot of coaches started to see that and they understand like, if I can do something for two weeks and then master it, then it won't be in my train of thought when I'm going to throw. So like when I first got to quad cities, I wanted to make sure my front side, like my glove was good. You know, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, you know, flying open basically. So I did that for two or three weeks on my bullpens and catch play every day, did drills. And now I feel really comfortable with that. So then we kind of move on to the next thing. And then once I get that down and I feel good about that, then we kind of can, you know, progress to the, to the next thing that they want me to work on. You know, being in the minor leagues, a lot of times it's easy to get caught up in your, in your stats and like the baseline stats. And so, um, I was actually looking at yours right now and um, ERA of 4.38 down there at high A right now. And I think to the to an average fan, they might look at your ERA and go, oh, 4.38. That's that's just OK. I like, guess not in and great. But I would tell them, like, if you watch the games and if you kind of understand what you're looking for, like 
A, I'm really excited about the season you're having. I've I've loved watching kind of the steps you've taken from 2019 to now. And it's clear to me, A, that there's been improvement. B, that the you know, the baseline stats that we look for in the big leagues don't translate well at all to the minors. So how do you, you know, as a player maybe see some of those baseline stats where it's, it's a balancing act. Yeah. I want to have the lowest ERA possible because I want to help the guys in this clubhouse win right now today, but also understanding that, look, my ERA is not going to be what dictates my success moving forward because it is, it's a constant balancing act in the minors of team success now and personal goals that are going to help you move through the ranks, you know, as your career goes along. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, my biggest thing is, you know, every fifth or sixth day that I pitch, I want to give our team a chance to win, right? I want to, you know, hopefully go five or six innings. And, you know, sometimes you do give up two or three, maybe four runs, but if the offense is there to pick you up and you make quality pitches when you need to, you know, that's a good day, right? If you watch, you know, you guys are awesome with keeping up and, you know, we all really appreciate it. And, you know, watching some of these games, you can see, you know, some things unfortunately don't go your way, you know, blue pit here and, you know, some, you know, something that happens and it's out of, you know, the pitcher's control, right? Like our coach always says, when you let go of the ball, it's all reaction, right? There's nothing I can do. So you just have to be able to put yourself in a situation to make a quality pitch and to have a quality out. Talk about when it leaves your hand, you happen to play on a team where when the ball leaves your hand, if the hitter puts the ball in play, you've got a hell of a defense behind you. Um, I've had a lot of fun watching you know, Jason Guzman, Nick Lofton, Michael Massey. You've had Jimmy Govern, Eric Cole, John Rave. Um, I'm trying to – Eric, Eric uh, who's the other outfielder? But other than Tucker Sue, Bradley. Tucker. Watching you yeah. guys – watching those guys roam in the outfield and obviously Vinny at first there for a while. And you guys have a really, really formidable defense, and that's kind of a byproduct of the Royals really putting a constant emphasis on team defense. So, you know – being a guy, obviously you lead the Royals minor leaguers in strikeouts right now. You got over a hundred strikeouts in the season. Sometimes that's the goal. Sometimes it's, you know, okay to let somebody put the ball in play. Do you feel like that knowing that if you miss with a pitch and a batter puts it in play, that your defense is going to take care of it allows you to be more aggressive and seeking out strikeouts? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you're right. I mean, all those guys you named, they've all done an incredible job of being, you know, a plus on defense. I mean, even having uh, Garcia, Michael Garcia now, I mean, he makes some sweet plays at the middle, man. So having just, you know, Ma- Massey is like, he's like a robot sometimes, I swear. He just never misses the, the, uh, any play. He's always having a good at bat. And, you know, you're right. It's awesome to have guys behind you and you can have trust in you and the catcher. And, you know, no matter what happens, you know that the team, you know, is, is, is ready for the ball and they're, they're going to make the play. So just like anybody that plays professionally, but I think just from the conversation we've had now, you're a dude that eats, sleeps, breathes anything around the game of baseball. So on those off days, some days either you're not pitching or like tomorrow, which is an off day for everybody in the minor leagues, uh, what are you doing to kind of decompress? And you know what, what are you doing away from the field to kind of give yourself a breather from the game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a bunch of the guys go golfing and, you know, I love golf. It's obviously an incredible sport and it goes great with baseball, but I like to just stay out of the sun. I mean, we're out there for freaking 10 hours a day. So, you know, sleeping, obviously I do my laundry and clean up around the, the apartment and, and just play video games all day and kick it. You know, I'll talk to, you know, Matt still down in low way. We always play uh, and we'll be the show together and just, you know, shoot, you know, shoot the, the can I curse on the show. Or no, I was yeah, going to say that. You're, you're good. Shoot the crap. And, uh, 
you know, we just kind of kick it and let our mind just, you know, reset and, you know, get ready to get after it for the next six days. Are you, are you a Diamond Dynasty guy? Yep. Okay. We might, I might have to give you my gamer tag after this, and we'll, we'll play a game sometime. All right, cool. All right, Alex, what else you got? Uh, I was going to ask Anthony really quick, um, talking about, you know, the things we do outside of baseball. You guys are there in Davenport, Iowa, which in terms of being, you know, stuck in minor league baseball, if you got to be somewhere, Davenport, Iowa, at least doesn't appear to be the worst place to be stuck. Um, you guys had the Field of Dreams game there, not in Davenport, but in Iowa recently. And I think the the American public kind of saw for the first time, like what baseball means to the Midwest. And, you know, the corn was cool and it was cool to see the, you know, the movie kind of be, you know, celebrated during the thing. But how do you feel like the people of Iowa and the people of the Quad Cities area um, have you know, accepted you guys as a, as a new Royals affiliate, right? So I don't remember who Quad Cities was before, but you got – you probably got a lot of fans there who are River Bandits fans, sure, but they develop, um, you know, a connection with – let's say it was like the Yankees high A team, right? So they develop a connection there. And now how do you feel like, A, they've, you know, accepted you, but B, talk about, you know, Davenport more generally because, again, I think I was kind of like an underrated little baseball hub and, and it's cool that the Royals have an affiliate there now. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I think this is is a great place to be. I mean, the fans have been awesome this year. We we always have a pretty good turnout, and you know, everyone's pretty involved in the game. And we were getting a haircut. Uh, actually, I got a haircut last Monday. That's what I did. We went to get a haircut, and the owner of the haircut place, you know, was so excited that the Royals were an affiliate of them, and you know, he was like almost through the moon with all the great things that the River Bandits have brought to the city of Davenport. So just to have like the local businesses and you know the people just support you, it it goes a long way in knowing that you know, you're excited to play every day, you know, it's no, there's never a drag when it, you know, comes to a home game. Last question for me, are you pro or against the six game series? I'm all for it, man. I mean, cause you know, I only got a half a season to kind of, you know, the old way it was, but it was tough playing, you know, playing a game on a road series and then driving six hours to the next place, not getting there till six in the morning and then having to play at seven o'clock at night, you know, it's, and we're stopping at McDonald's at two in the morning. So it's nice to have that travel day and to kind of have your, let your body relax your day, let your mind reset. And, you know, you're, you feel like you're a lot more geared up and ready to go for Tuesday. So I was talking to Vinny about this as well, just in quad cities, uh, obviously dude with some prodigious power playing for you behind his Sully Matias. What's watching him take BP like? Maybe a oh, dumb man, question, it's... but I don't know. I he, I mean, he's hit the scoreboard probably four or five. I can't even count how many times he's hit it, but he is, his him and Vinny both, man. It's like it seems like your neck almost gets sore just by watching the ball just go 50, 60, 70 feet over the fence. I'm still in awe of the fact he he hit a ball over the batter's eye into the river a couple of weeks ago yeah. in the end game. That's just insane. Yeah, that was a I mean, it was a absolute I think it was like 460. It was a freaking bomb. That, that's just crazy. All right. Well, that that's all I got. Uh thank you so much, Anthony, for coming on. We got one more question before we get you out of here. Uh if you could go back, watch any moment in baseball history live in person, what would it be? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, hmm. That's a great question. I mean, it's, I, for me, I'm thinking all the Yankees stuff because that's just the way I, I grew up. But, man, there's so many cool things, man. I mean, honestly, probably I'd love to see Jeter's 3,000 hit in person. I thought that was the coolest thing. Hit a and I listened to it on the radio, yeah. so I didn't even – I didn't even watch the game. I was driving with my mom and grandma to 
we were seeing family. My mom's from Chicago. So we were driving to go see family. And I just listened to it on the radio and just to hear like the atmosphere of what was going on. And, you know, everyone was just like so, so excited. And of course, it's a home run on a street doesn't hit. That would be a cool one to see. One of my favorite baseball moments, period, in, in baseball history is his final at bat is like I like Derek Jeter. I, and I'm not going to argue about Derek Jeter being a Yankees fan, but I think Derek Jeter is one of the one of the better players in baseball history. I think he's sometimes a little overrated. I agree. But the story. Oh, oh, not that. Not, all right, so like people say he's overrated, right? I don't think you can say he's overrated when every clutch moment you've ever watched Jeter came through. Right? He, was he the greatest defender of all time? Probably not. But he made the play when he needed to be made. Was did he hit for the most power ever? No. But he hit a home run in you know game five of the World Series. So in the playoffs, look at Derek Jeter's playoff stats. He played in a complete season in the minor. Or sorry, he played a complete season in the playoffs, and he hit like three ten, had over two hundred hits. So when the you know the bright the lights were the brightest, he was at his best. Well, that's fair. I was I was gonna say the one of my favorite moments is his final is his final at bat and like you said he just had a knack for the clutch like he like you said like it's it's almost cliche it's almost too easy to say when the lights were the brightest he played the best but like if there's anybody in in at least recent baseball history you can say that about it's Jeter maybe you should say David Ortiz but Jeter I mean the the final at bat the runners on. And was there any doubt in anybody's mind he was going to pull through with a base hit there to win the game? It was, it's still one of the coolest things I've ever seen live in baseball ever. Um, just a really cool moment. And so you, you mentioned Jeter there. And every time somebody brings up Jeter now, that's what I think of is I can't remember the, the announcer for the Yankees, but um, you know, just his call of the final game. Yeah. It was just so cool. Well, and I, I don't think, and it's not just that you didn't, you knew he was going to hit a single, but it in perfect Jeter fashion, he shot a ball to the right side. Like it was an inside yep. fastball that he just shot to right field. Like that's just what Jeter did for his entire career. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Anthony, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the off day tomorrow and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. And, you know, hopefully we're talking to you guys after a high A central title. Absolutely. I appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you once again to Anthony Veneziano for joining us on this episode. Uh, such a good dude, and the success he's having this year is really cool to see, and I can't wait to see what he does down the stretch for that Quad City squad. Yeah, that was a fun interview. I, I'm, you know, I, I always like talking about pitching, you know, with guys, and even if they can't get, you know, overly detailed on the podcast because we don't want them giving away state secrets, but um, it's always good to hear them, you know, talk about what works for them and, putting together different messages and, you know, all that good stuff. And uh, it was good to hear from him. And, um, you know, I like I tweeted this out earlier. I don't know maybe what I was missing or, you know, I just I didn't know he had it like that, to be honest with you. I didn't know his velocity was like that. So we left him off our preseason list. He was in the top 30 of our midseason list. If that tells you how excited we are about the progress he's made. So, um Six five lefty bringing it kind of crossfire with you know 100 mile an hour, that that'll that'll play and and even if it's not in a starting role he'll in a bullpen for sure. So really excited for his future. Really glad he was able to come on and talk to us a little bit. Uh, kind of interesting, you know. He talked he raved about you know getting to pitch to Bobby Wood Jr. But also to Vinny, um, who today and really over the last couple of nights hit a couple of doubles off some tough lefties and 
watching that kid continue to hit. We, you know, we were getting ready to get into our segment here where we talk about some good performances. Over the last two days, the Naturals played three games. They had a doubleheader on Saturday. They played a game today. And Vinny Pasquantino went five for eight with three doubles, a home run, two walks, and no strikeouts. He's hitting like 344 right now in Northwest Arkansas. He's got an OPS over 1,000. I mean, he went to Northwest Arkansas and didn't just not slow down. He actually started to hit more. So, I, my gosh, man, watching that kid work against righties, against lefties, hitting the ball the other way, hitting doubles, hitting home runs, has been a pleasure to watch this year. Really, really like what I'm seeing from Vinny Pasquantino. And um, it, was, it was interesting to talk about Anthony kind of rave about their, their plate appearances against each other. Well, and not only that, so he goes five for eight over the last couple of days. He went four for four with a homer and a stolen base a couple of nights ago as well. So the hitting just hasn't stopped for Vinny, and he can he just continues, and he's finding the the power stroke a little bit. He had a, a week or two there without a homer, and then he hit two or three this week. So he's, he's finding that again, and he's still getting to his power without striking out a ton. It, it's just remarkable what he's able to do to still get to that in an era where if you're going to hit for power, you're going to strike out 30% of the time, and he just doesn't do it. Yeah, and speaking of not striking out a ton, I want to look up. Oh my gosh, Omaha is getting no hit in the bottom of the seventh. Well, All right, so this is gonna. That. Yeah, let's let's hope. So we're recording on Sunday night. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know who Dylan Maples is. I knew Keegan Thompson is a little bit, but I mean, these guys aren't world beaters. And Omaha is getting it handed to them. Uh, Eleven strikeouts, just two walks, and six and a third. They're getting no hit. So. Anyway, before today's game, Bobby Witt Jr. has got a hat trick. But before today's game, over his last 16 games, Bobby Witt Jr. had 11 walks and just 14 strikeouts. That is a phenomenal ratio for him over any 16-game sample. Um, Really encouraged by what I was seeing from his approach to the plate. I admittedly have watched like five minutes of Omaha's game today, and it was all to watch Jackson Coar. So I haven't seen any of his plate appearances today. Don't know what, you know, that hat trick entails. But before today, Bobby Witt Jr. had looked really, really good coming into the into the into the game over his last couple of weeks. It was a lot of fun to watch, and um, you know, I I really thought we were getting to a point where seeing him in Kansas City this year was a slam dunk. I don't know if to slam really maybe keep him down for the rest of the year. Regardless, he's been really good. He's been a lot of fun to watch, and. You know, he really, up until today, I guess, hasn't really slowed down at all since arriving in Omaha. Yeah, he the the strikeout numbers are very encouraging right now, and I'm not going to worry a ton about those just because I know that there's a decent chance he's going to strike out a pretty good amount. I, the Trevor Story comp to me still feels about right, and Trevor Story still strikes out around 25 to 30%, but the damage that he does – when he makes contact makes you not worry about the strikeouts near as much. So I'm not worried about it. He's going to be just fine. He's still playing really, really good defense. He's stealing bags. I think he's right out of 2020 season or pretty close to it now. So, uh, you know, he, he's just doing special stuff, which we've seen all year. Uh, another guy that just joined him in uh, Omaha this week, MJ Melendez hit a couple home runs. He's tied for the minor league lead again with 30, we're staring down the barrel of a, you know, at least he's a candidate for minor league player of the year. I don't think he's going to get it. He, there's a very good chance he can win the minor league home run title, but 
the turn, the not only the turnaround, but the drastic turnaround has been remarkable and can't be understated for a guy like MJ. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, I mean, I've never looked into it, but I wonder if, if we can Google it really quick. Former minor league players of the year. Um, like, who wins those? Because it feels like, you know, MJ Melendez could be 30% better than, you know, anybody else. And they're just going to give it to a big name. Yeah, like the last few winners, Gavin Lux, Vladdy, Ronald Acuna, Moncada, Blake Snell, Chris Bryant, Buxton, Will Myers, <laughs> Mike Trout. So it feels like that award is going to be hard to win for, you know, Baseball America um, because, again, there there's agents involved and all kinds of other stuff. But yeah, it'll uh, probably – in terms of numbers, is very much in play in terms of winning that award. Yeah, it'll probably end up being a guy like Adley or Torque or something like that, which are well-deserved, and I'm not going to knock either of those guys. I mean, Torque just got called up. This He's into his third level of the year. So, uh, obviously, you know, in, in his own right, and Adley as well, they've been incredibly successful. And MJ, it just – I mean, he's been awesome all year, and considering where he was in 2019 and where we thought he you know, was going to be, you know, coming even coming into 2020 – it's absolutely amazing the turnaround that he's he's made. Agreed. Um, one more guy I want to shout out this week, and then I'm I'm you know like I was saying earlier, I was um, doing a lot of babysitting this week, so I didn't get to watch a ton of minor league baseball. I tried to clip some stuff together in the middle of the night when I was you know up trying to rock him back to sleep, so we didn't wake up mom and bear. But uh, last night, Jonathan Heasley goes out, fires seven shutout innings, and in the doubleheader, it was a complete game. Uh, five hits, no walks, five strikeouts, no runs. So he actually it was it was I mean it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. He in the very last inning of that game had two strikes on the final hitter, walks off the back of the mound and throws up everywhere. They take like a three minute break really quick. He gathers himself, does one up pitch, gets on the mound, and the first pitch he throws after that, he strikes out the final batter looking. And I'm I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, oh no! Like I don't know if he got sick. I don't know if it was the heat. I don't know what was going on. But Jonathan Heasley in the middle of a seven inning complete game shutout um, gets sick on the back of the mound, fires his fifth strikeout of the night to end the game. Um, we've talked about him quite a bit. He's a guy that I keep seeing people like, oh, you could or couldn't add him to the 40. I was like, no, he's getting added to the 40. Like, they are not – unless they trade him, they're not leaving him susceptible to the Rule 5 draft. They're just not going to. He's going to be there. He's going to be on the 40. He's going to be pitching in Omaha, if not this year, then definitely next year, um, you know, to start the season. And then he's just a call away. So, he gets lost in the shuffle a bit. He reminds me, like – more of Jonathan Bolin and Austin Cox than he does the other group, but he's got really good pitchability. He's got good command a lot of the time. And while his stuff isn't elite, his curveball is good enough to give him a chance and he spins his fastball well. So he's got a really good chance to start. And if not, I think he's going to be an outstanding reliever if he can't find starts for the Royals. Well, and I think when you group them in with guys like John Bolin and Austin Cox, that's still a really good group to be grouped in with. Those dudes are still big leaguers in some capacity, right? So it's not like when we say that he's not part of that top group that it's a knock on him. It isn't because the group that he's still, you could lump him in with are guys that are going to have a big league role. And I do, I've, I've said it since the day that he got drafted that John Heasley is going to be 
if nothing else, he's going to be a really, really good multi-inning reliever, Swiss Army knife, whatever you need from him. He's going to go and give you big league positive production. And I hope he has the chance to start. I think he's his last couple starts have been encouraging to where you think he probably could. I still think he's a reliever long-term, but that's going to be a really good reliever out of the bullpen for the Royals, hopefully by the end of 2022. Yeah, I agree 100%. It was, you know, that start he made last night, I was actually up at like, I don't know what time I tweeted those videos out. It felt like it was four in the morning. It was probably like 1230 at night. Um, I, was try- I was literally trying to rock my kid to sleep, and I just had my phone in my hand in the rocking chair, just going back and forth, like watching it start. Like, holy cow, man, he looked really good last night. They played seven innings and 90 minutes last night. So both pitchers were working. The difference in the game was a Jimmy Govern first inning home run, and that was it. There was like eight hits total in the game, and they just moved right along through game one. So really fun to watch him work. It was efficient. It was surgical. Um, really hoping, like, let's say they called Jackson Kowar back up in September – I hope that the that the bump from Northwest Arkansas is Heasley so that he can pitch in the playoffs with that AAA rotation. And then, um, yeah, so anyway, uh, really good to see from him last night. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think of anybody else that had a really good week. I'm sorry, I was work was crazy for me this week, so I was able to keep tabs on some stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure Tyler Tolbert has like 45 stolen bases now, which is just absurd. It's like it's like Terrence Gore like is kind of what I I'm seeing from him. Yeah, I tweeted something out earlier. Man, I can't remember when it was, but like he's been on, he's earned his way on base like 90 sometimes, and has like 45 stolen bases. So like it was basically every other time he gets on base, he steals a base. So I mean that kid. And by the way, the difference between Tolbert and Gore is going to be like defensive versatility. Because Tyler Tolbert can actually play some shortstop, and he's really good at second base, and he's pretty good in the outfield too. So, like, if he makes his way up and he gets to be the Terrence Gore of a big league club, he's actually going to have, like, some value versatility on defense moving around because he's not going to be stuck in, like, center field or left field. Right, right. That, that's all. I think that's all I have for this episode. I don't want to ramble on too long, just sitting there going, man, what should we talk about now? I think we might as well just end it before we ramble on for too long. Uh, anything else you got tonight, Alex? No, I don't. That's about it for me. All right. Well, hopefully you can get a little bit of sleep tonight. Uh, have fun on your first day of work tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for, for tuning into this episode. We'll be back next week, and we'll talk to you all then.